Turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to the book of Matthew. We will continue in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, we'll be looking specifically at verses 19 through 24. From, I guess, about a five-year stretch from the late 80s into, I guess, 88 to 1992, 93, my everything was baseball cards. So in that time span, I literally possessed every card, I think, made in that time. Every bit of my resources, every dime I had was collecting baseball cards in, in that era. I, I was fascinated with them. I, I knew all the stats. My most treasured card was a 1989 Upper Deck King Griffey Jr. For most of you, that means nothing to you, but there's a couple of you in here that go, oh, yeah, I remember that card. It soared in value at one time, and, and I was just, I just knew that I was going to get all my money back on these things and be able to sell them, maybe go to college. Yeah, there's some chuckles, right? <laughs> well, so great was, were the value of these cards that they now take up half of a closet in my home, collecting dust. Well, not really collecting dust. We have them all sealed up, but they're still at my house. Here's what I, here's what I learned that I learned in a very difficult way as I started going to baseball card shows and trying to sell them that they weren't really all that valuable if you can't get someone to buy them, right? Well, the ultimate lesson that I learned is this, is if what you treasure is not enduringly valuable, then there will come a day that you are sorely disappointed. It's a hard truth for me at that time in my life, but one that... I'm thankful that I learned early in life. And the question that we're going to be confronted with this morning is this, is do I treasure what is enduringly valuable? Do I treasure what is enduringly valuable? Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning. And God, we thank you for the time we've had to come and to to study your word, to begin a, a series in Hebrews for many here today. We thank you for the time in small groups of encouragement and prayer and, and just, just spurring one another on. And God, we thank you for the, the time of singing and, and prayer and fellowship we've had and now the opportunity to come and to hear your word. And God, I... I just come to you confessing first off, Lord, that this is a difficult question and perhaps a difficult text for many of us. What do we truly treasure? A question that we must ask is, do we treasure what is enduringly valuable? So God, I pray that you would bless our time now as we study your word. God, would you draw our hearts close to you and lead us to treasure you and the things of heaven? above all else in our lives. We ask this in the name of Christ, our Lord, our Master. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord this morning from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I want you to first just take note of the the context of this passage in relation to the whole of chapter 6. You remember chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, we we just walked through and, and we looked at the calling of Christ, the teaching of Christ, that we must not be hypocrites. The people of God are intended and called to be those who practice their religion with sincerity of heart. He he directs us away in in chapter 6, verse 3, 5, and 16. He directs our hearts away from seeking man's reward and instead leads us to seek God's greater reward in verses 4, 6, and 18. So he's directing our heart to the Lord, not to the things of man. If we look ahead to where we'll be next week, we find ourselves in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, me being a what-ifer, this is a passage I've come to many times in my life, we'll look at next week, but, but Jesus addresses the anxious heart, and he calls us to, to set our hearts upon him and upon his kingdom and his righteousness above all the cares of the world. The, the reality and what we'll see next week without too, getting too far into the sermon is that when we set our hearts on the Lord and his provision of our needs, then it greatly dismantles the anxiety and the worries of the world because our hearts are upon him. We treasure him above earthly possessions. And so here in verses 19 to 24, in the midst of this teaching on where our heart lies and what we value, what we trust in, we find a teaching from Christ that is a call to value the things of heaven above the things of the earth. He'll call us to to not have covetous eyes, but to guard our eyes from coveting and to set our hearts singularly on the Lord. We're, we're going to continue as we look at this passage today. We're going to continue to be confronted with this reality that we are to be people who are not merely concerned with religious externals. We're not called to be those who just look pretty, who just look religious, but we're called to be those who have our hearts set upon the Lord. We're called to be those who are concerned and worried about the condition of our heart, not just how we appear to those around us. I had Chad read Ecclesiastes 2, 1 to 11, because I I think it's such a helpful backdrop for this passage today. Remember what Solomon said and what what Chad read? He he talked about just the vanity of, of a life consumed by his own pleasure. You'll, you'll remember Solomon start out by saying, I will test you with pleasure to his heart. I'm going to test you, oh heart, with pleasure. I'm going to give you everything you want. I'm just going to go and I'm going to consume myself with whatever I want. And if you notice through that text, the, the resounding word that you see over and over and over and over again is me, myself, me, myself, me, 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 me. It's all about me. So Solomon lived a life of pleasure. He withheld nothing from his eyes. He achieved great feats. He acquired stuff. He worked endlessly. And he gets to the end of that. And he looks back and he says, all was vanity. It was striving. There was nothing to be gained. Nothing. Nothing. Now, mind you, 
This is the man who has just said, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. In verse 10, he said, I kept my heart from no pleasure. Whatever he wanted, whatever he saw, he went and got it. He acquired it. He built it. And at the end of the day, he said it was worthless. It was vanity. It was meaningless. Listen, when the winds of death blow, all our acquisitions and acclaim are meaningless in that day. It's all meaningless. It's all vanity. In that day, the only thing with meaning is your standing with Christ. Is your standing before the Lord. Your possessions are meaningless. What you've built for yourself, the name you've built yourself, are meaningless. And that's the lesson that Solomon learns. The problem with us is we tend to be slow learners. We tend to read Solomon and go, hmm, yep, okay, I can see that. And then we go and try to do the same thing. We just don't learn. We should see Solomon and go, thank you, Solomon, that you went that road, you journeyed that path, and you learned the lesson, and you've taught us. Now I'm going to learn from you, and I'm going to seek a different path. Don't be one who is so hard-headed and stubborn that you think, oh, well, that was Solomon. It'll be different for me, right? Now, as we look at chapter 6, verse 19 and 24, I think there's two important guardrails, so to speak, that we need to have in mind. We look at his teaching on the things of the world and the things of heaven. There's two guardrails we need to remember. Here's the first one. Is that God has given us many good gifts and blessings in the world. He has given us many good things in the world. Things that we should rightly enjoy. This isn't a teaching. It's not a message that says you should, you should just reject all that. That the world is just utterly evil. It's all bad. The material world is evil. God has given us good things in the world, good blessings in the world that we should rightly enjoy. That's one guardrail. The second guardrail is over here is that Jesus' teaching is not a condemnation of owning material goods. It's not a condemnation of just owning material goods. His teaching is a condemnation of treasuring material goods. That's the condemnation. Is that we are not, it's not, he's not saying, hey, listen, you've got to just go and get rid of everything. You can't have anything. You, you need to just walk around as though you have nothing. No, he's not condemning the possession of material goods. He's just simply saying, do not treasure the things of, of the earth. Don't store it up. Don't accumulate it. Don't hoard it. That's what he's calling out here in this passage. So let's look at Let's look at the text. There's three segments. You'll notice it's broken up into three paragraphs in your translation, most likely, verses 19 to 21, and then 22 to 23, and then verse 24. And I want to take each of these sections, and what you'll see is that 19 to 21 is, is basically elaborated on in the next two sections. It kind of, those two sections kind of elaborate what he says in verses 19 to 21. But of each one of these sections, I want us to ask a question, a question that we need to consider and then a truth that God ends. So if you look at the, the pattern of Jesus' teaching here, he presents a teaching, and at the end of each section, he makes a truth statement that we need to consider this morning. So here's the first one. The question and truths about what my heart values. If you want a title, you can put it there. Three questions and truths about what my heart values. First question. First question. Where is my treasure? Where is my treasure? This is verse 19 to 24, 21. Where is my treasure? We all treasure something. 
There, there is someone or something in our life that we carefully study, that we seek to acquire, that we spend a great amount of energy on that we invest a, a great deal of time in or, or we invest a lot of emotional capital in or we invest a lot of our resources in, whether that's financial or, or physical resources, that we just invest a lot. We treasure things. We are treasuring people. So Jesus isn't here going, hey, listen, you need to learn to treasure something. That's not what he's saying. We naturally do that. Our hearts naturally want to treasure something. There's something that we're drawn to and that we go, oh, I want that. I long for that. I appreciate that. I love that. I treasure that, right? We just naturally do that. What Jesus does is he contrasts two types of treasures here. He contrasts. He gives us a negative admonition and a positive admonition. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 is the negative admonition. What does he say? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, again, he's not saying that you cannot have material possessions. He does not say, listen, uh, do not have any material goods. That's not what he says. The, the key words here are what? Storing up and treasures. That's, the, that's your key words. It helps you understand what is he saying here. Do not store up or do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. So don't, don't just seek to accumulate them. It, he's, he's speaking out against materialism and, and you really don't need me to tell you how pervasive materialism is in our day right this is the siren call of our land of our culture is that you need more stuff you need more stuff when you watch the ball game they take devoted timeouts just for tv timeouts so they can tell you what you need more stuff acquire more stuff get more stuff gather up more stuff treasure this stuff not that stuff this stuff or that stuff you treasure my stuff right and so it's all about seeking to help and kind of play into that idea of treasuring things. Now, if you look at Luke 12, 13 to 21, I just want to, I'll read this to you. But Luke 12, 13 to 21, Jesus gives the parable of the rich fool. And he, he's teaching something similar here. He says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul... You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have pre prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. But Jesus here is the same thing. Do not just store up and acquire and accumulate and hoard up for yourselves the things of the world. He's talking about the danger of the one who would accumulate treasures on earth at the detriment of his own soul. He would neglect his own soul but accumulate all the things that he would want. Or we have a, a striking admonition. Hear what James says, a striking uh, rebuke perhaps of James. He says, come now, this is James chapter 5 verses 1 to 6. 
Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Now, does that sound like, what did Jesus say? Do not store up or do not lay up treasures on earth. Why? Where moth and rust destroy, where the thief will what? Steal? That sounds strikingly similar to James. Behold, he says, you have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. James is speaking hard words there to the people, to those who are rich and just living in self-indulgence. It's all about me and myself and acquiring what I want and storing up vast quantities of stuff just for me. He's warning them, do not do this. Do not do this. Do not live ungodly lives for the sake of just storing up more stuff and acquiring more goods, taking advantage of those around you to build your kingdom, your empire, your savings, your bank account. Listen, some of you sitting in here at this point need to ask yourself a serious question because you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ. You're not a believer. And all of your treasures are in the world. And the question is this, is is what you're storing up, the treasures you're storing up, what happens When the day comes when your soul is accounted for. What happens on that day when you die and it's all over? You can't take it with you. You can't take your clothes with you. You can't take your possessions with you. Your vehicle, your house, your boat. You can't take it with you. Where is your soul? All of those things that you value so much of the world. They're temporary. They're fleeting. They won't last. They will burn in the end, are you treasuring what is enduringly valuable? Or are you treasuring what is temporary, that will not last, that you cannot take with you? That's the negative admonition. The positive admonition from the Lord is in verse 20. He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures in earth, but instead, in verse 20, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. Now, what are, what are heavenly treasures? It's, it's that which earthly powers cannot destroy. It's those things that are valuable on heaven's spreadsheet. John Stodd, in his commentary, said, described it as temporal activities with eternal consequences. Heavenly treasures are doing the things that will last and make an impact on eternity. It's those things such as growing in your knowledge of God, it's conformity into the image of Christ, it's love-driven obedience to your Lord, it's intimate fellowship with the God who created you, it's serving those around you, telling a friend about Christ, going on a mission trip, ministering to the next generation at church. It's those words that you would speak of encouragement to those around you. No one can steal those things away. No moth can eat it, no rust can destroy it, no, no thief can snatch it away. It's things of heaven that are done temporarily, that are done here, they're done among us, but they have a lasting, resounding, eternal impact for all eternity. They echo through of the grace of God and the glory of God. It is storing up treasures in heaven. But Jesus says in Luke 12, 32 to 34, he says, fear not, little flock, 
for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom sell your possessions give to the needy provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail there where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also do you hear what he says i mean how could we exchange the kingdom he says it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom <laughs> to give you the kingdom but yet we want to exchange that. We're going to exchange that which the Father gives us that can never be lost for something that the world offers that moth and rust so quickly can destroy. We want to just exchange it. We want to exchange the, the treasures of heaven and get rid of them for something that's temporal, something that's not lasting, something that's vain, something we can't take with us. And Jesus says, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. It doesn't grow old because it's of the Lord. It's not because it's a better quality purse. It's because it's of the Lord. Listen, earthly treasures may appear to be substantial and lasting, but they aren't. They aren't. Heavenly treasures actually are substantial and lasting. So don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. What's the truth he gives us? He says, don't store up treasures of earth, store up treasures of heaven. And then he makes a true statement. What is it? Verse 21. We meditated on it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The location of your treasure will affect your heart in life-altering ways. That's what you need to know about this. You're the location of your treasure, earthly or heavenly, will affect your heart in life-altering altering ways what we treasure will shape what we do in life Charles Spurgeon said this he said the heart must and will go in the direction of that which we count precious the whole man will be transformed into the likeness of that for which he lives what are you living for what are you living for are you living for the things of the earth of the world or are you living for the things of the Lord what fills your heart drives your life it's a basic principle the things that I care about the things that I want the things that I value is what drives my life we are a driven people so you are driven to do what you do for a reason you put in the hours at work for a reason you save for a reason you do the hobbies you like for a reason you play the sports you do or the sports you play for a reason you sit for hours on social media for a reason we're a driven people. What is driving you to do what you do? Is it trying to manufacture an image, a persona? Is it trying to expand your platform to magnify your name? Is it trying to pad your bank account? Is it trying to have more than the guy down the street? Is it trying to have a better toy, a bigger toy, a faster toy, a funner toy? It's probably terrible English. What is it? What's driving you? We're a driven people. What's driving you to do the thing you do? See, your treasure and your heart are bound together. If you treasure the things of the world, then your heart or your, your life will go after the things of the world. If your heart loves the world, then you will pursue the world. However, if you treasure the things of God, your heart will long for heavenly things. Here's the problem is, is that a lot of us think that we can spend the whole week striving to build worldly treasure and accumulate worldly goods and treasure the things of earth and then come in here and get like a little 
pocketbook or a little investment or a little money bag of heavenly treasure and leave each Sunday. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. There's a disconnect there. If you're living in such a way that you're accumulating and building up earthly treasure all week and then you come in here and just expect to get a dose of heavenly treasure that'll make you feel better and get you through to the end of the week, then there's something awry. There's something wrong. The question is, are you cultivating worldly desires or are you cultivating godly desires? What do you treasure? Do you treasure the things of earth or do you treasure the things of heaven? The second question he asks that we need to ask is in verse 22 and 23. So the first one is, where is my treasure? The second one is, what are my hearts, sorry, what are my eyes set on? We only have one heart, right? What are my eyes set on? Now, this can be a, a couple of verses that are difficult to interpret. You look at them and, and go, why in the world is this here? Is it, what is he talking about? What, what, why is this situated here? Well, again, context is important. Look at the surrounding passages. In verse 19 to 21, what does he talk about? He talks about not setting our hearts on material goods, worldly possessions. Same thing in verse 24, don't serve money, Right? And so this context, this passage is all around worldly possessions, material goods. And so that helps us to understand what he's doing here. We are to set our eyes, our gaze, our focus on the things of heaven, right? He's later going to say he served one master. We are to have a singular devotion on what we look to, not looking there and going, hey, I like the things of the world, heaven, world, heaven, world. No, we're to have a singular focus of our eyes upon the things of heaven. Now that statement there that he makes, this the eye is the lamp of the body that he begins with. The eye is equivalent to the heart in biblical writings. It brings light to your being. It is what you are, what you focus on. It brings light, which is in Scripture. We understand and remember that light signifies what is good, what is righteous, what is holy, what is of God, what is life-giving, life-bringing, right? And he says, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. It'll be full of goodness, light, life, godliness, righteousness. He says, if your eye is healthy. Now, what does this mean? Does this just mean that we all need to go to the eye doctor so we have good, healthy eyes? Probably not. Right? We read that and we have a basic understanding of what's going on here. But in Greek, it's a really difficult text to translate and to get the full meaning and understanding of what it is in the English. The, the, the word there for healthy can mean good. It can be, mean single-minded. It can mean even generous. So some people will say, well, he's talking about being generous. You need to be just generous and give away all your stuff and be very generous to those around you. Well, it's, it's probably best to understand it as looking at, you know, looking at the context, looking at what's going on in 19 to 21 and then verse 24 in the context of what's going on with he's, what he's teaching about the heart, material goods. I, I would say the best way to understand it in the context is to understand a good or healthy eye is one that is set upon the Lord, one that is focused wholly, completely on the Lord. D.A. Carson writes this, he said, it's the eye that is unwavering in its gaze, constant in its fixation on the Lord. Essentially, we have a choice. We can set our eyes on that which brings life and light, namely the things of the Lord, or we can set our eyes on that which brings death and darkness, the things of the world. That's the choice we have every day. What are you going to set your gaze on? What are you going to focus on? What are you going to look to? Do you recall the... Tenth commandment. Anybody recall the tenth commandment? Been driving down the street and see the statues or right? 
You know, you know the tenth commandment, right? Somebody help me here. Do not covet. Thank you, Bill. Do not covet, right? Now, that's how we remember it. Here's what it says in full. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Don't covet. Now, why, why would the Lord say this? Well, where does coveting most often begin? Our eyes. It most often begins with our eyes. We, we see what others have and we want it. Oh, look at that donkey. I would like to have a donkey like that. <laughs> right? I know all of you have said that this week. Some good looking donkeys in Kentucky. Right? We see something and we want it. We see it. We're drawn to it. We treasure it. I, I start thinking about it. Start meditating on it. Start figuring out how can I acquire it? How can I get more of it? How can I have a better donkey? Faster donkey? Right? Now, why does he prohibit coveting then? Why, why does he say do not covet? Well, two reasons. One, we're to trust him to provide what we need. We're to trust the Lord for his provision. I might see something nice, but if I don't have it, I can just trust that the Lord is not deemed that I need to have it. The second thing is that covetous eyes lead to a heart that treasures earthly things. Covetous eyes lead to a heart that treasures earthly things. And so you have this concept, right, that if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If I'm looking to the Lord and I'm looking to the things of heaven and I'm seeking the things of heaven, then my life is full of light, righteousness, godliness. I'm pursuing the Lord. But if I develop an eye that's fixed on the things of the world, if my eye is dark, if it's bad, your whole body will be full of darkness, he says. So here's the truth. The question was, what are my eyes set on? The truth is this. A life with eyes set upon worldly things is deceptively darkened. And a life with eyes set upon worldly things is deceptively darkened. Now, why Why did I say deceptively darkened? Look what he says. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If our eyes are set on earthly things, on worldly things, then we have been deceived and our lives are deceptively darkened. Because he says here, the light in you is darkness. We don't realize it. We're walking around as though we had the light of life and yet we're living in the darkness of sin and deception. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this on on this passage he said the light of the body is the eye the light of the Christian is the heart if the eye be dark how great is the darkness of the body but the heart is dark when it clings to earthly goods for then however urgently Jesus may call us his call fails to find access to our hearts our hearts are closed for they have already been given to another because we've set our gaze upon it and our heart follows And we've set our heart upon those things. Listen, we may seem devoted to the Lord. We may seem religious. We may seem theologically sound. But if our eyes are set on the things of the world, on earthly things, and our hearts are being led to treasure something other than Christ, and we have been deceived, how great is the darkness of the light that is within us? The third question we need to ask is in verse 24. Where is my treasure? Number one. What are my eyes set upon? Number two. 
And number three, who am I serving? Who am I serving? Who's my master? It's the idea of single-mindedness. It, it's the, the idea of, of focusing our eyes, focusing the, our, our lives on the treasure of heaven, setting our gaze upon him. It continues now. The single-mindedness continues. When we think about who do we serve? Who do we submit to? See, at the end of the day, an important question we must ask is this, is who is truly my master? Who is it? Who do I serve? Who do I submit to? Is Christ my Lord? Or in this context, what Jesus teaches is money, my Lord. What is the great determining factor for what you do? What is your why? What is your why? When you think about what you do, the way you live, the way you invest, the way you spend your time, what, you, what your habits are, what is your why? If somebody says, why do you do that? Why did you go there? Why do you practice that? Why do you appreciate that? Why do you invest there? Why do you value that? What is your why? What do you serve? J.C. Ryle said, singleness of purpose is one great secret to spiritual prosperity. Singleness of purpose. That's what he's driving on here. You can't serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Singleness of purpose. That you submit wholly unto the Lord. It's, it's what Timothy, Timothy writes in 1 Timothy 6, 6-12. You can just write that down. I want to read. I want you to hear this. Timothy is confronting false teaching in the church. Those who would, who would bring false teaching and, and image this idea of godliness as a means of gain, right? And we, we see that in our day. Those who would project godliness and false teaching and acquire and gain things, right? Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Job knew this, right? Naked I came and naked I depart. God gives and God takes away. Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, with these things we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Now, what does he say? He's, he's rebuking, he's encouraging us away, not from having money, there's two key words there. Again, in verse 9 and 10, he doesn't say that money is evil. He doesn't say that even being rich is evil. He says the desire to be rich leads us into temptation, into a snare. He says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. What is it that you treasure? It comes back again to your heart. Do I long for these things? Do I treasure money? Do I just desire it that I want to get it at all costs? Again, Jesus is not saying you can't have money, you can't have goods, you can't provide for yourself. He's not saying that. The problem comes in when we treasure those things, when everything we do is because of those things, when that is the why for us. Why do I do what I do so I can get more money? That's a problem because if that's your why, that means that money is your master. We can't go that route. Hebrews 13, 5 to 6 says keep your life free from the love of money. Not free from money, but free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. 
For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Rest in him. He comes back to God. The truth that we find here, who am I serving, is a a question we need to ask. Am I serving money? Am I serving God? The truth is this. You cannot serve two masters. You can't do it. Jesus says very clearly, you cannot serve both God and money. You're either going to despise one or you're going to love the other or vice versa. Which one is it going to be? We need to choose whom we will serve. We need to be confronted with that question that Elijah asked the people in that moment in Mount Carmel. You remember in, in 1 Kings 18, 20 to 21, he comes near to all the people and he says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. They just stood there. I fear the same response in our day. That if we look and go, listen, you're either going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve financial prosperity, that people go, uh-huh, yep, and just sit there. Which one's it going to be? Who's your master? Who's your Lord? We need to answer the question. We need to come to the point where we say, who are you going to serve? Who is going to be your master? Who are you going to submit your life to? Joshua does the same thing, right? The end of Joshua. He comes to the people and he says, therefore, the fear of the Lord is now for Oh, goodness gracious. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is evil in your sight to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose it. Will it be the gods of your fathers beyond the region of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell? And then what's he say, that famous statement? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's calling them to a point of decision. It's the same defense that Paul gives when he starts writing Galatians. You remember the defense that he gives when people are accusing him and questioning his ministry? His defense is, for now I'm seeking, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Because Paul understands you can't serve two masters. You can't serve the Lord and then try to appease man and serve man. You can't serve the Lord and other gods. You only serve one. The question is, whom will you serve? See, the people of God treasure what is enduringly valuable, the things of heaven. And we set our gaze on him. And we serve him alone as master. I want to just leave you with this. How do we cultivate a heart that treasures Christ? above all things how do we do that if we we hear this teaching from the lord in matthew 6 19 to 24 and we come away and say okay i i get it now what do i do what do i do to cultivate a heart that treasures christ how do i do that i'm always reminded of colossians 3 verse 1 through 4 you can read that on your own time but colossians 3 Paul tells the people to to fix their eyes on things above. Set your gaze on things above. On the things of the Lord. If you have indeed been saved, if you indeed have been redeemed, he says, and set your gaze, set your mind on things above. How do you do that? How do you do that? What does it look like to set your mind on the things above? Because when we do so, that our heart grows to love. When we set our gaze or our mind or eyes on things above, on the things of heaven, our heart grows to love 
that which we focus upon. Let me just share real quick. I'm just going to rattle these off. We can post them later. Let me just share with you things that I've found that help me cultivate a heart that treasures Christ. I don't do this perfectly. I don't want to project that at all. But these are things that in my life, when I do these things, it's kind of like just hurling myself in front of the freight train of God's grace. Okay? And he just graciously, graciously increases my affections for him, my love for him. Here they are. One is simply ask God to deepen your love for him. I had to learn that the hard way. Why, why would God not want to answer that prayer? Why would he not? We come and say, Lord, would you please deepen my love for you? Seek him in prayer and ask him to deepen and to cultivate a love for him. Second is flee from sin. Run from it. Don't dabble in it. If you stay sitting in sin, wallowing in sin, you're not going to have a heart that, cultivate, is, that treasures Christ. It's not going to happen. So flee from sin. Third, spend consistent time in the scriptures and in prayer. Just spend consistent time growing in your Lord, in, in the Word, growing your affection for the Lord, meditating, thinking upon the Word of God, the truths of God, the grace of God, the work of God, the character of God. Spend time in the Word. As you do, number four, meditate on passages that speak of God's work on the cross through Christ. Meditate on those. Mull those over. Jot them down. Underline them. Memorize them. Think deeply about what Christ did on the cross for you. It'll lead you to treasure him. Five, spend quality and quantity time with God's people. What a blessing God's people are. Spend time with them. Invest in relationships with God's people. Sixth, think about the words of the songs we sing. Think about it. Don't just mouth them. Think about what you're saying. Think about what you're singing. In just a moment, we're going to close our time by saying my worth is not in what I own. Think about the words that you're singing in that time as a time of response. Seven is read books that spur you on to love God more. Read good, solid books that will spur you on, encourage you, build you up in your faith. If you need recommendations, talk to a pastor. There's some good books outside that you can pick up. Number eight, this is a really simple one, but listen to music that stirs your heart's affection for God. Music is powerful. And if all we're doing is filling our mind with music that is ungodly, what do you think it's going to lead our heart to value and treasure? Consider the music that you just fill your heart and your mind with. Listen to songs that are going to lead you to treasure the Lord. You know, this passage, I think this passage hits home for us. I, I'll say it hit home, hits home for me. It makes me ask questions that I need to be asking in myself constantly. I need to return to time and time again. You, you can find, a, I think, a pretty good parallel of this passage in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, if you jot that down and read it today. John says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life 
is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. He gives three categories of sin. The desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. Is that not what we just looked at in the teachings of Christ? Do we not see the desire of the flesh wanting to treasure worldly things? Do we not see the desire of our eyes leading us to fix our gaze on things other than the Lord? Do we not see the pride of life binding us with a life filled with a love of money? And so I leave you this morning with a reminder that the world and the things of earth are fleeting, they're vanity. Solomon's already learned that and taught us. Heed his wisdom. They're vanity, they're meaningless. What is it left for man to do but to love and to fear God, to serve him? What are you treasuring? What are you fixing your eyes upon? Who is your master? Do you treasure what is enduringly valuable? Let's pray. God, we, we bow to you, our Lord, our master. And God, we thank you for your grace in our lives, your people, the work that you did to save us. God, we give you praise and you glory. God, the only thing we contributed was the sin that made it necessary. Oh God, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you, oh God. Thank you. God, I pray for those here today, God, who are completely wrapped up in treasuring the things of the world. They've never turn to you. They've never pursued you. God, I pray that you do a great work in their lives. God, a work of faith. God, shower your grace and mercy upon them. God, we pray for their salvation. And God, I pray that for those of us who are believers today, God, I pray that you would guard us from the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, Lord. Guard us from treasuring that which is fleeting and vain that is temporal, and let us treasure the things of heaven. Let us set our gaze upon you and let us submit our lives to you and to no other. God, thank you. Thank you for the truth that we're about to sing. God, that our worth is not in what we own. God, our worth is in you, that you created us and you saved us. And you are a great and mighty God, and we worship you now. We pray all this in the name of Christ, our Lord, our Master. Amen.